Right. I apologize. I, I went um, last week after the, or sometime in this week. I don't know what happened this week. The time is just flying by. It's crazy. I saw last week I preached for 56 minutes. I'm so sorry. It's not my fault. It was Jeremiah. What's that, brother? Yo. Got your money's worth, right? Yo. Okay, I'm going to keep it shorter tonight. Promise. No promise. Sorry. Can't lie in a church. No, it will be a bit shorter. Um, Acts chapter 14, verse 21 to 28. I've entitled tomorrow, to tonight's lesson, The Derby is Over. Play on words there. That's why I put the Y in there. It's not a spelling mistake. You guys know what a derby is, right? It's a horse race. Yeah. All right. The derby is over. So tonight we are concluding the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. They were sent off from which church? Antioch. Yes. The missional hub of the Gentile world. They were selected by the Holy Spirit and by the church for this mission. And it seems like, they, it seems like when you read the text, they had a predetermined itinerary. It's like they decided before, okay, we're going to go to that town, then we're going to go to that town, we're going to go there, and etc., etc. Now, we've walked with them through this journey. Some of the towns um, you can maybe still remember. Um, let me put up the map there. That's the first missionary journey. They started off there in Antioch, and then they went through to Cyprus, Perga, sitting in Antioch. So they... They preached in, in, in Cyprus. We'll talk about that now. And sitting in Antioch, they preached in Iconium. They preached in Lystra. They preached. And tonight we're going to be in the Derby, the final Derby. All right. On Cyprus, which is an island, just, I just want to remind you quickly. And there's a reason why I want to remind you. They preached the gospel through the whole island, the text says. Okay. Through God's call, they were invited to preach the gospel to the ruler of the island, that Roman proconsul. But he had a friend. Do you remember who this guy was? I think his name was Elimas. He was a sorcerer. How can I expect you to remember if I'm the preacher and I don't even remember? I apologize. Okay. I had to read this today again to remind myself. But this guy, the leader, has, an, has a sorcerer with him and he's a hybrid a pagan Hebrew type of mixture. Seems like he wasn't sure about what he really believed. Okay? And he was used by Satan to oppose what the apostles are busy preaching, the gospel. But it's interesting that through the Holy Spirit, the apostle Paul rebuked him right there and sent him into blindness. It's interesting how powerful the apostles were, that they had access to heaven to silence these guys. So that, that all happened on that island over there. In Paphos, that's where this whole event happened that I spoke about now. Then they get on a ship and they, they from Paphos they go to Perga. And then they go up to uh, Sidian Antioch, that place up there, Sidian Antioch. Now what happened there? They went first into the synagogue, right? They went first into the synagogue to preach. He spoke so well in the synagogue, in the synagogue that they said to him, hey man, can you please come back next week? Great preaching. We want you to come back and speak about this. And it seems like this whole message reverberated throughout the town. And when Paul came back, almost the whole town was there the next Sabbath, the next Saturday. 
As usual, what happens when large crowds of people follow a different type of teaching? It upsets the Jews. They did the same with Jesus. They did the same with Paul. And so they became jealous. Who's this guy? What's this guy preaching? Why is he so popular? We don't like him. And so they started persecuting them and chased them out of their region. Get out of here. Paul and Barnabas say, okay. They shook the dust off their shoes, right? And they said, well, if you guys don't want to hear us, we'll go to the Gentiles. Which they did. There's lots of stuff to learn there about that. Then they go from city in Antioch to Iconium. Right? The Bible says that they preached powerfully and effectively in Iconium. But there were some guys who instigated and they poisoned the minds of the people towards disbelief. The apostles, however, had a power that, that, could not, that man could not meet and the Holy Spirit was sent from above with extraordinary miracles to confirm the word. So in Iconium, they, there in Iconium, they performed incredible miracles because there was incredible deception. And so heaven is like, hey, let me wake up these guys. I'll do some extraordinary miracles among you so that those who want to believe and those who could be susceptible to deception can see for themselves, whoa, God is here. God is speaking through these guys. Okay? But still, there seems to be this division in town. Some believed and some didn't. Eventually, the Jews, once again, they didn't want to hear anything. So they said, we're going to kill Paul. We're going to stone him. But Paul and them heard about this. And what did they do? They ran away. They ran away. And they ran to the next town, to Lystra. Okay? In Lystra, Paul arrives and he meets a man who was lame from birth. And he heals him. And this did what? It sparked the pagan worshippers. Because it seems like Lystra had lots of Greek gods. And they were worshipping Greek gods. So the town sees, we know this guy. He suddenly can walk. Oh my goodness, the gods are among us. So the priest who's outside of the town, probably by his temple of Zeus, he collects cows and they're coming into town, man. They're going to come sacrifice some cows for these guys. They thought that Paul was, um, who was who in the zoo? Barnabas was Zeus and Paul was Hermes. Yes, Hermes is the, 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 the proclaimer and the younger guy and Zeus is the older one, right? So thank you, brother. Thanks, thanks for that. Um, and, and so Paul and them, they see this and they say, whoa, guys, whoa, man. Yes, we are just humans, right? Um, anyways, as this was happening, listen to this. As this was taking place, these oxen are coming out. They want to sacrifice. And the guys from Syria and Antioch, the Jews who wanted them dead there, and the Jews who wanted them dead from Iconium, they formed a raid, like a whole party, and they thought to themselves, we're going to follow these guys, and we're going to go catch them, and we're going to kill them. So when Paul left Antioch and left Iconium, they thought, okay, now we are sort of safe. No, no, no. These guys are going to come after them. You can read it in the text. So these Jews arrive in Lystra while this was going on, and they seem to manage to turn the crowd that wanted to just sacrifice to them. And what do they do to Paul? They stone him. They think he's dead. And they drag him outside of the city. And what does the coolest man except Jesus that have ever lived 
maybe except David, Solomon, I don't know. But what does he do? He goes back. He goes back into the town. Powerful, powerful. Okay, back into the city again. Brother, these are cool stories. You must go smash it. Okay, when you have time. Then we end with verse, chapter 14, verse 20b. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. That's where we ended off last time. And before we go on, as usual, some questions. What is the difference between evangelism and making disciples? The difference between evangelism and making disciples. I think that's an important question. Are you concerned about the church? Okay, let's ask it. Are you concerned about this church? And what does that mean? Are you concerned about the building, about the finances, about the property, about the future, where the church is going to be in 10 years? Or are you concerned about the people, the actual church? Which, which one is it? Yeah, that's a good, good answer there. And are you concerned? Like, do you ever sit back and wonder, I wonder how Charlie's faith is? I wonder how Gary is surviving with that aggressive wife of his. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Number three, what, go, what goes on in the mind and heart of a young Christian? You've just been baptized. What do you think goes on in that guy's heart and mind? What is he dealing with? Number four, what is the purpose of elders in the church? I think most people here have been in churches where there were elders. What was the purpose? And then what came first? Disciples or church? These are trick questions, by the way. Jesus or the Bible? It's a legit question. It's an important question. All right. Let's go on. Acts 14, 21 Let's start with the first verse. So they are in Derby, right? They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Okay, let's just pause there. There's two interesting concepts for me here. It's the first time I've seen this, actually. In this first verse, he says... That these guys went and they evangelized this town and made disciples in one town. So the literal translation is when they had evangelized the, that city and had made disciples. Seems to be two, not different things, but not exactly the same thing. Because he uses the Greek word euangelizio for preaching, the euangelion, the preaching of the gospel. And he uses for the, that, the NIV is actually not a good translation, one and large number of disciples. It's the same concept as you find in Matthew 28. Make disciples, matetes, as you go. So you have both of those two things there. Evangelizing, in my opinion, is preaching the gospel. Some will accept it and some won't. Some are ready for it and some are not. We don't know who they are. We don't know who will accept the message. God knows. But we speak when we can, when we get an opportunity, right? So God brings us together in the 
the evangelism process, we can't really determine the outcome. But we must be aware of people that come across our path, right? And when we, when we do meet people that's looking for Him, and that find Him, and that get converted, then we have to matataste them, teach them to follow Jesus. All right? We cannot microwave salvation. We can't force people to be saved. That's part of the evangelism process. It's like, yes, we can preach, but God does the art change and the work in that person. So we have to work together with God, right, on, on that. But we can empty ourselves to people who are interested in Christ and who've already selected Him as their Lord. That's the making disciples part. What do you guys think? That's what I see. Anyways. Now, the title of the lesson is... I actually forgot what the title of the lesson is. The Derby is over. The race is over. Because they're coming to the end. Because look at that. The text says, they returned to Lystra. So they went to Derby. And they say, okay, this is it. We're going to go back. We're going to go back. Okay. And not much happened in Derby. Do you see that? There's just one verse about it. They preached... They evangelized, and people became disciples, and they taught them, and then they left. It's like they had no problems there. Isn't that interesting? That's it. What a way to end the mission. No opposition, no struggle. Now, here's the intriguing part for me when I read it. I hope you can see it. I just told you the whole missionary journey, right? They started, they went up to city in Antioch, then they go to Iconium, they go to Lystra. What happened there? Let's look at some of the words. Let's just use some of the words. Persecution. What about being stoned to death? What about people hate you? What about people um, tell you they want you dead? What about people travel miles and miles and miles to find you, to kill you? And then you decide, you know what, we, we, we want to go back. We want to go back to Sidon and we want to go to Antioch. So what we're going to do is, instead of going from Derby, like to the coast, taking a ship to Antioch, or going from Derby around the peninsula to Antioch, there's other towns as well. No. You know what we're going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to go back to the bad guys. That's the Apostle Paul. We're going to go back exactly the way we came. We're going to go Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. Perga, and then we'll take a ship there to Antioch. We're going to skip the island, but we want to go back to all of those towns. <laughs> yes. If you were Paul's friend, you'd be like, dude, wake up. So where to now? Let's go back to Lystra, where those people stoned me to death. Let's go back. Let's go visit them. Say, hey, hey, hey. You want to try again? Let's go back to the towns where everyone wanted us dead. Let's go talk to them. Ha ha, we're alive. Let's go back to the town where they wanted to sacrifice bulls in our honor. And the next moment tried to kill us. Let's go talk to those guys again. I wonder if they, when they came into the town, because they say some of these um, worship centers or temples or whatever to Zeus were like outside this, the, the town gates. When they walked past, can you imagine them walking into the town, coming back, waving at the guy who wanted to sacrifice bulls to them, the priest. You know, hello. Kids. Guys are crazy. We need some excitement. Let's go. It's an adventure. Let's go to city in Antioch and defy the decree. They said we mustn't be here. They chased us away. Let's go back. It's like they were adventure junkies. Like Wes. 
Let's see how close we can get to death. Or something else. Was there another reason? Well, you know there's another reason, right? Let's read the text. Sorry for this back and forth. I had my things mixed up there. So, then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. To do what? Strengthening the disciples. And encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And here's a quotation inserted. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. And with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Syria, they came into Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. My brother, there's some cool names for your next child. Yeah. Just pop into Acts. <laughs> okay, why did they go back? They were concerned about the churches. They didn't fear the Jews. They were concerned about the churches. They didn't even care about the, the priest of Zeus. They didn't care about what the Jews thought. That was not on their mind. What was on their mind? They were thinking about those poor Christians that were stuck in those, town, in the, in, in those towns. If we allow our decisions to be driven by what others think and how others treat us, we are neglecting the people who need us. I remember a guy said to me, he's got a totally different type of ministry. He said to me, you're crazy to be in church ministry. People are difficult, man. They complain about the color of the carpets. You want to deal with that? Why would anybody deal with that? Maybe because there are people that will actually appreciate encouragement and strengthening and the teaching of the Word of God that makes it worth it. Now, I was reminded when I thought about this, just this heartfelt, and you can just sit and listen and, and go read it at home, or you can read it with me. Um, it's 2 Corinthians 11. Paul is talking here from verse 21. Second Corinthians eleven twenty one. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. And I just want to pause him there in the middle of his rant and say, yeah, but you wanted it. As a joke. You keep on going back, bud. What's wrong with you? Okay? 24. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly in the, on the move. I've been... Uh, I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern 
for all the churches. That is at heart why he went back. Did he want to go back to Iconium? I don't think so. Did he want to go see the guys in Lystra where he got stoned? Did he want to walk past the place where his blood was probably still there? No, he didn't. Why did he go? Because he had a heart for God's people. He had a heart for these new disciples. They've just, they are babies, man. Can you, mean, can you imagine giving birth to a baby and just letting the baby live by itself? Can you imagine? So he's concerned about his babies. That's why he talks about, so often calls, he calls himself the father of these Christians. He makes disciples. Then he gets killed, literally, or he gets chased out of town. And those who did believe what he said, they stay behind in that town. Without teachers, without apostles, without elders, with nothing. Except what? The Holy Spirit and the faith, the belief that they had. How quickly can you give up on your faith? Now imagine that. They, they kill the guy who taught you, or they chase him away. You stay behind in that town. You've got to look these guys in the eyes that's stoned Paul. Okay, sorry, I'll stop believing in Jesus. I don't want to. I've got kids, you know. But it seems like when Paul goes back, they still believe. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Yet today, it seems like today, in a town with 34 odd churches, let's say we're a little town like that, we have people who lose their faith. Isn't that intriguing? We don't live in a town where you get stoned for being, believing in Jesus. Yet they stayed faithful. Yet there are so many people in our town that don't believe anymore. It's crazy, isn't it? We don't have any persecution. And it seems like sometimes people are just not plugged into Christ, really. So, they went back, the text says, to these disciples in these towns to go do what? First of all, to strengthen them. These were young converts. They were surrounded by enemies and were exposed to temptations and dangers. And they had only received what? Christianity 101. They've only received Christianity 101. Paul and Barnabas now gave, came to give them what? 102 at least. But I think there's something deeper. The Greek says, episterizo ho ho which literally means to strengthen the breath of the disciples, the pupils and the students, to strengthen the breath. So I did a race yesterday, and my, um, they let us know that they are emptying Green Peter into Foster Lake, and so the water was going to be colder, and I didn't expect this, but then it becomes compulsory to, to, to use a wetsuit under a certain temperature. So I had to go borrow a wetsuit. So I started swimming. In the race, obviously. And then I started drowning. Because I couldn't get in. My breath felt like I was going to die. This thing was choking me to death. It was like a wetsuit that's got a strap that comes around the front. And then ties around the back. And I'm just sinking. Thinking about my children, my wife. No, I'm just joking. I didn't. There were canoes close by. I could just tell them, hey. I hate giving up, right? That was like the third time. 
And even when they came, I was like, should I continue, shouldn't I? I was like, ah, I'm not going to drag this wetsuit with me everywhere. But I wish at that moment I just, I just had, because what happens is because it's, it's closing up your, your veins, and so there's less oxygen going in your blood into your head that makes you feel claustrophobic. And also now you've got to breathe, like really to get breath. And, but all you need is just breath, just oxygen going to your brain and to your, your body. It's, it's, it's incredible what breath does, right? I'm sure Wes can tell us a lot about that. You know, when you're in cold water, how breathing works. And brother, when you run to breathe properly, right? It's huge. Now pic picture this, picture this. These guys came to give them breath. The new disciples, they needed it, didn't they? They were living in a town where people would persecute them. So why would they need the breath? Because they were in a fight. And they were running a marathon. Christianity is not a sprint. It's not like, today I believe in Jesus, tomorrow I worship Zeus again. No, it's total life change. So the disciples, the apostles say, come and we're going to give you breath and strength. The opponent is strong. They needed this enhancement and, and strength. And Paul came, and Barnabas came to give them that. Hang in there, brothers. The text is true. The Holy Spirit is real. Hold on to what you have believed. And at this moment, there are children in this church who were baptized that need that same type of strength. That's grappling. They are grappling with Satan. Remember, what's the first thing that happened to Jesus after he got baptized? He got taken into the wilderness. And he was tempted. We need to pray for these young people who got baptized. You know their names. The second thing they did was, is, is what? Encourage them. So they strengthened them and they encouraged them. It's very easy to get discouraged to be a disciple of Jesus in a town where people hate you for being a Christian and they think that you're insane to believe in Jesus instead of Zeus. They think you're crazy. They think you're crazy if you follow a guy that died on a cross and you don't believe in Moses anymore. There's something wrong with you. The Greek once again says, Parakaleo emeno or pistis. We beg you to stay in the same place with your faith. We beg you, stay in concrete in your faith. You believed in Jesus. Don't let go of that. That one thing. Don't let go of the resurrection. And what Jesus came to do. Because your whole salvation is dependent on that. Regardless of the pressure that comes, you keep your faith. Don't be shaken in your trust of Christ for salvation. Don't listen to the lies. And what's the third thing that they did? They appointed elders for them. Plural. In what? Each church. So, verse 23 is key. We see here the establishment of the first churches. Here is a prime opportunity, listen carefully, for the apostles to appoint one pastor for each of the churches. Prime opportunity. The text could just have said, Paul and Barnabas appointed a pastor for them in each of the church. It doesn't say that. He appointed elders for them. In each church. and um, they, So they appoint a plurality of elders. And for those of you who don't know, the terms for elder and pastor and shepherd is the same thing. It refers to the same office. Although the Greek words are different, it refers to the same thing. 
plurality of that. Why did they do this? Well, they needed shepherds to shepherd the flock, to teach them, to lead them, to inspire them, to study the Word. Now, this is an interesting topic for me because we estimate this first missionary journey that we've been, that's taken us 3,000 years, in actual time, they say this missionary journey was about 4 to 10 months. It takes me 20 years to preach on what took them 4 to 10 months. No, probably not that bad, right? That means that some of these elders that were appointed have been Christians for less than a year. What do you think about that, Brother Rolly? <laughs> Brand new Christians. You're going to be an elder. Sounds like the Mormon church, doesn't it? How old are you? 18. Elder. How could this be? How could Timothy, Titus type of elders that we see in the qualifications, be appointed so quickly? I don't have the answer, by the way. I'm just asking the question. Well, maybe... Could be. He's the apostle driven by the Holy Spirit? Sure, yes, brother. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. But those elders, regardless of whether the Holy Spirit does it or not, shouldn't they still meet the qualifications that Paul outlined in Timothy and Titus? Okay, but the, the Holy Spirit will not contradict what the text says, right? So, so, so they should, those qualifications in Timothy should be seen in these elders. Right? And that, that is difficult to wrap by it. Like, how do you, how do you become a, a person that manages his family well and um, a, a person that is, uh, he's got a good reputation with outsiders and all of those wonderful attributes like in four to ten months? And only, the only answer I could get is the following. These people um, that were in the church, they weren't born yesterday. They've been around for a while, and the community probably knew them. And I think with the Holy Spirit and the input, I don't think Paul and them just walked into and said, okay, here's 10 people baptized, you're an elder. I think they, they extensively asked people, Who, who's trustworthy in this community? And they prayed about it, right? And they selected people that have already demonstrated that type of character, although they didn't know Christ. And believe it or not, you can actually be an incredible person without Jesus. Now that might sound crazy, doesn't it? You can. I've met incredible people that have not been Christians. However, however, okay, let me say it like this. 
You can be a great person with great character outside of Christ in a world where Christ is not known. Because remember, this is the first time these people had heard about Christ, right? Some of them had grown up in the Jewish faith. Some of them had been Gentiles. But we read in the New Testament, there were some really incredible Gentiles. The centurion. I mean, we can, we can name the people, incredible people. So I don't think we have to like really break our heads on this. I don't think that Paul selected people that do not qualify, if I can say it like that. We are, however, in a different situation. Because sometimes we look at the New Testament and we think we can just plug it into our situation. It's not the same thing. We live in a different time and how I wrap my head around it, I don't know. We live in a world where Christ is known. And where churches have been around for hundreds of years. Where our ancestors had heard about Christ and submitted to Him. These people, this is the first time they ever hear about a guy named Jesus. It's totally different. So in a sense, Christianity has become old news for us, but for them it was brand new news, right? So, so we live in a world where Christ is known, yet elders are very hard to find. Why? Well, I think these early disciples, I think that they were activated Christians. They were totally tuned in. Because it was a totally radical new life for them. Total conversion, fresh faith. Like I've said, in many ways the Christianity we know has become old news. We're so accustomed to it. It's like we've become too relaxed with it. It's like, yeah, this type of Christian. For them it was like when they saw the miracles and they realized what had happened, they, they're all standing on attention. We are ready to do what needs to be done. It seems like old news is less exciting than new news. What we need, I think, and I'm not answering the question because there's lots of questions around the eldership thing, okay? So I'm not going to deal with all of that. I'll leave that for you to go think about, and we can have private discussions. But what we need, I think, in this type of Christianity, because we have an old Christianity. We live in a country where Christianity is old. It's not a new thing. And I think what a lot of people are trying to do is they're trying to fix the situation by making cosmetic changes. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Like, let's have a new hip building. Let's have a new hip band. Let's look at the um, emblem of the church, you know. All cosmetic changes to try and fix the lukewarmness in Christianity. And I don't believe that cosmetic change is going to fix the issue. The Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit does make things happen when we go back to actually doing what the Holy Spirit wants. And what the Holy Spirit wants, in my understanding, is for us to be disciples of Jesus. Not just churchgoers. Disciples. So I think we need to return to being disciples. That's why I talk about it so much. Because that's what I see in the text all the time. Being disciples. Because disciples existed before the church existed. We grew up, we've always, everywhere you go, where you preach church, what, what, what's your relationship with Christ like? Well, I go to this church. No, that's not what I asked. Are you a disciple of Jesus? They were disciples first, and when they were a few, they became church. Right? So you, you first had disciples, and then they became church. Now we have a bunch of churches that people go to, but they're not necessarily disciples. So we have to reconvert the churches. 
We've got to go back to the church and say, are you a disciple? I see you sit here every Sunday, but are you a disciple? So, the church is made of, of disciples. People were first sold out to Christ before they even thought about church. That's what we see is happening here. Got disciples in towns. And now Paul goes back and he back and he formalizes these groups of disciples and says, okay, we need to have a leader. They don't have buildings, they don't have budgets, they don't have pulpit preachers, they don't even have pulpits or pews. They've got little houses that they live in, man. They're being persecuted. That's this Christianity. Let's read what happens next. From Attalia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. That's the end of our first missionary journey. We need to make sure that we complete the work that we decided to do for God. These guys set out on this missionary journey and they went everywhere they were supposed to. And on the way, they almost died. They were chased away. They were hated. They were persecuted. But they came back. They finished. They had many opportunities to give up. They did not. Secondly, God chooses to work through us. That's what the text says. They came to report back on the work that God has done through them. God can do all of this without us. He can convert the whole world without us. But He has asked us. He wants to use us as the tools, as the mouthpieces. We cannot work without Him. And we cannot take credit for any of the spiritual things that happen. And then lastly, God opens doors of faith. My um, question is this. Paul went on this first missionary trip. Imagine with me. Let's imagine. He went on this missionary trip, and he comes back into Antioch. In Antioch, he's sort of safe, right? And he, he goes and he lies down on his bed, and he closes his eyes, and the satisfaction of finishing the mission is over. What do you think he's thinking? What does he see? You're welcome to answer that question if you want to. It's a speculative question. I don't have the answers for that. <laughs> Correct. Where do I go next? Yes. Absolutely. I think that's in Paul's mind. Because he was relentless. He was a little Jack Russell. I think he's thinking, Wow. All the things God brought me through and I'm still alive. Maybe he's thinking, he's hearing the, the crowds shouting at him. He's seeing the faces of people who hate him. Have you ever seen a face of somebody that hates you? It's horrible. Road rage. The person looks at you like, are you stupid? You know, that he, how many people looked at Paul like that? And he imagines that, but it... it those faces and those voices just blur out. It become blurry. And down the middle, you know what he sees? He sees the faces of the people who came to faith in Christ. The disciples. And you know what? I don't think he's just lying on his bed, imagining what he had experienced, and dreaming about what he's going to do into the future. I think he's praying for those disciples he baptized. 
I was thinking, Lord, please just be with them. Give them boldness and faith and hope and help them to keep fighting this battle, wrestling against the evil forces of darkness. I want to ask you, since you are here tonight, to go do that tonight for this church. Lie in your bed tonight. Just see the faces of the people, not even this church. If you know any disciples, think about them tonight and pray for them. What is your